week four, but I'm covering Ephesians five today. Week four, but I'm covering Ephesians five. And here's what I hope for y'all before you leave today, second service, is that number one, I want y'all to be rowdy because I will talk longer if you don't talk back. So I'm going to need some people to talk to me in this place. And number two, I want you to get it because this one, as much as any of them, hit a, struck a nerve with me. And I can't wait to show y'all the specific thing. It's toward the end of the message. And I'm just letting y'all know, especially right here, I might run a lap because I'm pretty excited about what the Lord showed me. So I told the first service this, I'm pretty much done with the message by Thursday afternoon, I, I have it buttoned up and ready to go. And honestly, my goal was to pray back through it, look through it. This is about 4 o'clock on Thursday. And I was like, I'm just going to put it in the PowerPoint. I'm ready to roll. And then this weekend, I'll read over it 30 times and make sure that I'm good. And as I was literally copying and pasting my notes, putting them in the PowerPoint, this thing dropped on me. And I was like, ooh, that's good. So I'm going to give you the ooh, that's good. At the end, and I hope the rest of it's good too. That's the goal of it. But I'm telling you, I believe you can leave here with some different understanding and your life can transform because of Jesus if y'all will lean in with me. So if you're ready for the word, say yes. yes. Me too. Me too. The title of today's message is The Imitator's Invitation. The Imitator's Invitation. I like to imitate people. Some of y'all have heard it before. I'm not going to get into a bunch of it today. I wish that I had time because I really enjoy doing it. But when I think of imitation and imitators, I think of people doing other people's voices and doing that kind of stuff. And there's really funny people that do it. Have y'all seen it? Really funny people that do it. But this particular invitation is not to try to sound like somebody else, but specifically what the invitation is is for us to begin to emulate or be like Jesus. That's the invitation that he's given to all of us, and it's specifically called on in this chapter. But when I think about it, I think about my son, who the other day, Leah came into the bedroom and she said, oh my gosh, I wish you could have seen what Haston was doing just now. And I thought, oh sweet baby Jesus, what did he do this time, right? Because if he's acting like his daddy, it's probably not good. And she said, no, it's nothing like that. She, it's just how he was standing. His, his hands were in his pockets, and he was just rocking. He was doing exactly what you do. And I thought, well, that is pretty cool because he wasn't trying to imitate. He wasn't trying to emulate. He's been around me enough that he begins to operate like me. Are y'all with me? He begins to do what I do, which some of the time is good and some of the time I don't want. But what the imitator's invitation that I'm talking about is when we begin to operate without even thinking about it exactly like our maker Exactly like the one who called us and did not forsake us and who says who he says we are, we really are. That's who I'm talking about, imitating. But here's the problem. God's looking for imitators, not imitation. Someone say imitation. Everybody knows what I mean by imitation, but let me go into it a little bit. Lee and I have been married for 19 years. For 16 of those 19 years, we had a leather couch. Huh? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It was green, pleather. And when you sit down, you better not have any legs showing because you stay in stuck when you try to get up and it takes some of your leg off because it was not real. First time I ever walked in Leah's house, I sat on that couch. We got it from her parents and we kept it until a couple years ago. 
and it weren't real. It was, say it, imitation leather. And some of y'all have been to big cities where you can buy Oakleys for $3. How many of y'all know that's not real? Huh? Some of y'all are like, mine look real. That's fine, they look real, but one lens is going to fall out in about 10 minutes, right? And don't think for a second it's helping your eyes because it's not real. We all know things that are imitation that are not real. And I'm not arguing that you have to buy everything that's name brand. That's silly. That's not what I'm here to argue. But what I am here to argue is this. What the enemy wants for your life is not that you won't do good things. Look at me. He doesn't care if you do good things as long as it's not exactly what God called you to do. And if he can make, if he can make the best version of you, the imitation version of what it's supposed to be or the fake version of what it's supposed to be, if he can make you try to achieve things or twist your mind enough to where you'll try to do stuff outside of God's plan and purpose for your life, then you'll be the imitation version of God's best. And that's what he does with everything. That's why pleasure is not bad. Do y'all know that? Pleasure is good. But once Satan gets a hold of pleasure and twists it, that's where we get into trouble because we begin to take what God intended for pleasure and we twist it and make it our own. That's imitation of God's best. He likes to fabricate, imitate, and mess up everything that God intends to be good, and that's why he's a counterfeit Jesus. He's not the real thing. But he, the Bible says this, y'all. He takes the form of light. Why does he do that? To counterfeit us into believing that that's the real $100 bill. It's not. When you hold the $100 bill up to the... Light, you can tell if it's real. And that's the way it is with Jesus. And so this is not an invitation to imitation. It's the, Im it's the invitation to the real thing. And the way that we get the real thing is, to buy, is by imitating the way that God called us to walk, not by the fake thing. So I need y'all to understand as we jump into Ephesians chapter 5, this is the imitator's invitation, not imitation, invitation. Y'all ready? I know that's a lot of Asians, but here we go. Ephesians 5, it says, verse, verse 1, Therefore be, say it loud, be, imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Stop right there. Here's what I think is cool about that. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 says that you... And I, if we're in Christ, are the fragrant aroma of Jesus, the fragrant offering of Jesus. So, so when I am in him, I begin to put off the same aroma that he has that God loves. How, how does this happen? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself. This fragrant offering that the Bible's talking about is the same, the same offering that you find in Leviticus that had to happen every year in order to pay the sacrifice. One atoning sacrifice per year. Atonement just means paying the penalty of the sin. And, and that a certain high priest had to kill the fatted calf. And, it ha and that aroma, the Bible says, that aroma of that, that sacrifice gave off a fragrance that pleased the Lord. Well, what the Bible means is, is that when I walk in love Walking as an imitator of Jesus, I give off an aroma that pleases God. But also, that other people can recognize. So stop for just one second. This isn't really the message, but I need to tell y'all this. Y'all know that when you walk into certain homes, 
You could be blindfolded, and when you walk in that home, not even know where you went, you walk in and say, yep, that's her house. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Why? Because we have certain fragrance. But in this particular case, our fragrances should be similar because we should give off the same aroma that Jesus gives off by the way we walk. So he's like, look, I need you to understand that your purpose may be to do this job, this job, this job, this job, have these gifts, have this, and we all have amazing uniqueness, amazing differences, but there should be a similarity in the fragrance we give off if we're doing it right. If we're doing it about me, I'm probably giving off a fragrance that's just not a good one. Are y'all okay so far? Let's keep going. He says, but, but look, sexual immorality and impurity and, or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. Let therefore be no filthiness. I need y'all to know this. This is important for this message. That word filthiness means corrupt or rotten fruit. Someone say rotten. It's going to be super important in a couple minutes. Let there be no rotten fruit, no, no foolish talk, no crude joking, none of this. But instead, let there be thanksgiving or grateful hearts. So all of this that he's naming, he goes, he goes down to this and says, you got to have gratitude in your heart. And then he says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. What is an idolater? Someone that puts another God before the Lord. You say, I don't do that. We all do it. It's called ourselves. Let's keep going. Has no, this is the key right here, y'all. Inheritance. Someone say inheritance. inheritance. This, this, this isn't a goal. This is a destiny. This isn't something that if you work hard enough, you get. It's that if you submit enough, if you, if you let him have access to your life, you are guaranteed by the guarantor. Why do I want to emulate? Because I want all that God has for me so I can fulfill my purpose in Christ Jesus. Not so I can say, ooh, look at all I've got. And so he's saying, look, all of these things keep you from that. So whenever I read the Bible, sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, dang, this feels like a list of do's and don'ts. Y'all don't have to be quiet. Y'all can be honest with me. Does it not feel that way sometimes? That's not what this is. What this is, is helping you understand that when this stuff is filling you up, he can't trust you as a son or daughter to give you the inheritance that he has for you. So he withholds because he's a gentleman and he loves you, not because he's mad at you. And so he says, you have no inheritance. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't become partners with them. I need y'all to take, take notes in your mind right now and understand he said, don't take partners with these certain people. In other words, don't be tied to them. Now, I'm not talking about business right now. I'm talking about your soul to their soul. You can't be tied to the people that are sons of disobedience, quote unquote, that are allowing that lifestyle to become infiltrated with them constantly. You know it. It is not, it is not something that I'm saying needs to be your Facebook life where you say, I know what Johnny Bird's up to, so we're going to call him out. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't do that. <laughs> Y'all okay so far? Don't do that, but be wise. Walk as in wisdom, emulating or imitators of God, walking in love. And listen, there's a the specific point that he's saying all this. For at one time, we were full of darkness. He's talking to Christians. You were full of darkness. But now you are Light in the Lord. You have the light that's come on you. So walk as children of the light for, this is the key verse right here. 
that jumps us into the good stuff. He says, for the fruit of light, fruit of light. Your children of light and the fruit of light is found in what is good, right, and true. So try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The first couple weeks of this series, I showed you photographs and negatives and being developed. Y'all remember all that? If you do, say yes. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different, but it's amazingly similar. But what I noticed about Ephesians chapter 5 that I had never noticed before is this is specifically talking about, in, as an imitator, what am I supposed to do? And if you go back to the original purpose of a human being, God said, let us make man in his image. And so we did. And then his first commandment is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Someone say fruit. So fruitfulness is the purpose that God put in each one of us. Whether you like it or not, you do not have to like it for it to be true. You are called to make fruit. You are called to be a producer of fruit. And all of us make fruit. I promise you. It might not be good fruit. Because that says some of us have rotten fruit in us. But all of us are fruit makers. All of us are making fruit. And in this particular case, I felt like he was talking about grapes. It just made sense. It goes with John 15. It made sense to my brain that it worked, that it has to be a grape that he's making. And so here's something that I learned. Growing grapes and children are almost identical process. Growing grapes and training up your child in the way he should go or she should go is an almost identical process. Mark, what are you talking about? Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. I'll show you. All parents, that's us. Some of y'all aren't parents yet. Keep it that way for a while, Jesus' name. All parents know if we don't provide discipline, our children will run. Someone say amen. amen. Jesus did it. Did you know that farmers or vine dressers know that if they don't provide discipline, the branches and vines will run wild? And so there's a tedious, amazing, intricate thing. I've never known this before. I am definitely not into farming. <laughs> my idea of a garden is my kids plant something in the backyard, right? So we're not, I'm, I'm not Mark the Green Thumb, but I'm super interested because Jesus talked about agriculture so much, and I wanted, I wanted to expand on it and see why, and this just unlocked stuff, y'all. What I noticed about a vineyard and, and about what you have to do to make grapes or grow grapes is it is an unbelievably tedious process. Like to the point that I told Austin this week when we talked through it, I would really have to consider whether or not I give a dang about grapes after all of this, right? Because that's a lot you have to do to make a grape. <laughs> Better yet, all of these grapes and, and producing all of this fruit, you got to go through an unbelievable tedious process. Because first of all, for this vineyard to look the way that it does, and it's beautiful. And I've seen Napa Valley in California, and I've seen how unbelievable for miles you can see these grapes. And you're like, sweet, that looks awesome. And if you just, the casual person just walks up, and you land in Central California, and you look around, and you see this, you're just like, sweet, that's awesome. Or you go to France, and you see all their, their beautiful vineyards, you're like, that's awesome. But it takes a lot of work. What do you mean? I mean that each one of these dudes is a separate plant on its own. But if they let them grow wild, they'll never produce good grapes. Did you know that? If you just let, a, it might grow some grapes, but it has to grow up. 
Why does it have to grow up? Someone tell me. It needs the sun. And it also has specific other things to grow the most beautiful, sweetest, best grapes. It needs lots of other things. Like, for instance, a canopy. It, it needs the ability for air to come underneath for the fruit not to get too much on the ground, but not above where it gets direct sunlight. It needs the sun to hit the leaves and a little bit on the fruit itself. And it needs all of these things so that the best thing about this is that the air blows through. And it cools off the ground because the ground needs to stay a certain temperature, but the leaves need to get light. How many of y'all know the process? What's it called? Photosynthesis. Isn't that interesting how it's kind of like photography? And then when light hits it, it makes energy and it turns it into basically carbohydrates and produces the fruit. And the same thing happens in photography. But photo just means light. And if you take light away from this process, you'll have no fruit. A lot of times what happens in our lives and the reason that it's like raising or growing up a child in the way he should go, training them up or she should go, is because if we just get lazy as parents, and sometimes, let's not even call it laziness, tired, y'all with me? I've been working all day, them kids running wild, let them do their own thing. The problem is with grapes, if they're not on a line, if they don't grow up the vine, and then if they're not trimmed down and pruned, and they're not growing down a line, they'll run wild and they never produce what they're called to produce. If they don't go through the process that they're supposed to, they never end up producing everything they're supposed to. I'm telling you right now, our children are the same way. We, how do I know that? I'm the same way. That discipline or guardrails are not a bad thing. They, they give me the line that I can run in, and when I decide I don't need it, it's because I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. And when I look at it and I think, ah, this is no big deal. I can just do fill in the blank. I begin to become the imitation version of what I'm supposed to be. Because I may look like a grape plant and I may begin to produce small grapes. But they will be bitter and they will turn rotten. And they will never produce what they're ultimately intended to produce. Because in the largest vineyards, they're supposed to produce wine. Napa's not producing grapes so that you have raisins. And we get them from them. Gross. They're boogers. Someone say, hey, man, y'all can like them if you want to, but I think they taste like boogers. How do you know what boogers taste like? Hush your mouth. <laughs> but they're made for wine. And the best grapes under the best conditions with the best soil and the best and continue, 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 make the best wine. But if you're not careful, you'll settle for the imitation. Look, i got to show you this version. This is just a, a drawing version of it. Obviously, it's, it's a cartoony version, but it shows you the canopy and what happens with the canopy and what happens with the bunches of grapes. That's you, by the way, what you're producing. And I'm going to show you in just a second in John 15 where the Bible says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And I'm not going to show you the part that says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but I need you all to know that's true. But I thought these, these things were cool. This... This thing right here in the middle is not a tree stump, even though it looks like it. It's the vine. It goes down into the roots. But that is the vine. And when it splits, it makes shoots come out like this that eventually can produce the grapes. 
But these things are just an offshoot of, what does this say? What is Christ the head of the church? Isn't that right? But notice the head isn't up here. Because whenever we picture a body, we picture a head and then a body. But in this case, the head is branching off. And it's important for the grapes to stay in line or else if I get too high, I'll burn up. And if I get too low, I get too close to the dirt and I begin to produce toxins, which eventually make me either moldy or completely rotten. And it has to be thrown away because if it stays around, it will kill the plant. I didn't know this. But look at what John chapter 15 says. It says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser, the gardener, the, the farmer. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, whenever I've read this in the past, I've always thought, you're bad. Look at me. You get taken away. You're good. Sort of reads like you still get taken away a little bit, but you, you produce fruit. But I'm here to tell y'all, this has nothing to do with your bad and your good, but everything to do with what you're clinging to. That it may bear more fruit. Look at this again. The goal of your life, according to this, is not so you can be seen. Because how many of y'all have, have y'all ever been to one of these vineyards before? Any kind of vineyard? Have y'all ever seen it? Y'all certainly seen one on TV. And even if you hadn't, you can see one right here, right? You don't walk through this and go, oh, my dear sweet baby Jesus, look at that grape. Are y'all with me? No one says, that one, I tell you what, the rest of them's all right, but that one. Even if it's a 40-pound cluster, and I'm going to tell you, that'd be a big cluster of grapes. You, you would still say, Look at that line of them because they're tied together. Why does it say, why does the Bible say don't partner with? Because if you're partnering with corruption, eventually the corruption leads to you. Look at this. I learned these things this week. I thought it was so cool. Here's why this is so important because you, God's purpose in your life is for you to bear much fruit. Not just fruit, but bear much fruit. When you first plant a, a great plant, when you first plant the I keep saying plant over and over. I don't know, maybe I'll get it if I say it 40 times. When you first either plant the seed or you, or you can do it, you can do this by grafting it. I think it's pretty cool. But when you first do it, you'll immediately see growth. And they can produce a fruit. Someone say a fruit. The first year. But it's bitter. It's not good. It's not good for consumption. You don't want it. You know what happens in our lives is when we begin to walk with Jesus, we begin to say, all right, I've been doing this for a while. I'm ready to see a fruit. But he doesn't want a fruit or some fruit. He wants much fruit that's his fruit. And if I'm not careful, I won't allow the process to take place. What's the process? This is unbelievable. The vine dresser will intentionally cut off the bad or the not sweet fruit and prune you. And the more he prunes you or she prunes you, the more you get pruned as a grape plant, the more sweet, good fruit you'll produce. So when all of us are in a process and we're all in it, y'all, I don't care if you're 75 or you're 12, we're all in a process. 
And whenever the pruning process is taking place, we're looking at it going, Jesus, can you get this over with? I'm here to tell you, you don't ever want it over with. Why? Because you always want to produce fruit. Because no matter what happens in this plant's life, the goal of the plant is to keep producing grapes. And once it's reached a point that it no longer wants to reach grapes, it no longer produces anything. There has to be a winter season where all the old gets cut off. The other stuff is this. Naturally, shoots start trying to form off of this. Do you know what he does? He cuts it off. Why? Because it's not healthy. Because if it's not at this level, it will never produce the right kind of fruit. So as a gentleman, he comes off and, and cuts it off. And he can't allow the stuff to stay on the ground. I never knew this. Why? Because it will, it will poison the actual plant itself. So in that passage, in John 15, it says that in, in the next verse, you're cut off and burned. Do you know I always thought that meant hell? Always. I thought it meant if you're bad, you don't know Jesus, you go to hell. Well, listen to me. There's truth to that, that you either trust Jesus and you have life in his name, or you don't, and you'll spend eternity de departed from him in hell. But I don't believe that particular passage is meaning that. Why? Because I learned this this week. This is so neat, y'all. The parts that get cut off, Nothing gets put down here except for they'll take the part of the plant that's being burned and they'll pour it down. While it's burning but not completely on fire as ash, they'll put it down because that gives a fragrant aroma to the plant and gives it good reproductive qualities. It, it helps the plant become even more sweet. So the parts of me that are old that get cut off that I say, it's no longer mine, it's yours, I open my heart up and give it to you. God not only is not embarrassed of you, but he loves it and he'll eat it up. You don't have to be good enough. You have to open your heart up and say, God, I'm yours, take me. But if you just let, as soon as this becomes rotten, if you're not careful, if it, if it rots, it will just fall and it will corrupt the entire line if you just let it go. So why does the vine dresser keep the whole thing clean? So that the air flows through. How many people in here can remember what the Holy Spirit's actual word in the Old Testament's Ruach, in the New Testament's Numa? how many people can remember what it means? It means wind. And, and when, when I get too closed off and the wind can't blow beneath me, well, then I've got a problem because I, I don't stay at the right temperature to produce the best fruit in here. Matter of fact, the Bible says when I operate in unforgiveness, like the song Emma was singing earlier, the Bible says that my heart burns in Matthew 5. And that's never supposed to happen. I'm not supposed to bake. I'm supposed to open up and say, I don't want to forgive them, but Father, forgive them as you first forgave me. And the problem is we can be as talented as we want to be and look as beautiful in a cluster as we want to look. But if we're not submitted wholly to the Lord, then we'll get hardened and become bitter. And the aroma that we give off is what everybody out there is tasting and seeing every single week when they read social media and they see the actions of followers of Jesus. This is not a passage to try to get you to do this and not do this, but simply to cling to the Holy Spirit and be an imitator, not imitation. And it all has to do, look at me, it all has to do with your heart, not how good you perform.
Can I tell you something? God's not impressed with how many people I get to follow me, but how much of my heart I submit to him. God's not looking for me to perform great things, signs and wonders. I believe he will perform signs and wonders through his children, and it will produce much fruit. But if I try to bring to God a sacrifice of how good I am, look at me. Your fruit oftentimes is your gifting, and you are extremely gifted people. In Christ, we all have incredible gifts that are irrevocable. But the reason they don't taste good is because we make them about us, and we get too high and mighty in our pride, or we get down in the dirt, which causes corruption and, and rotten fruit. And the vine dresser just wants to pick us up and put us back on the line. Why? So he can give us everything that we need in Christ Jesus to produce much fruit in him. Look what Ephesians says. I love this. He says, so take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Can I tell you all what this means? It does not mean, ooh, look at Joe. It means, let me get him back on the line. Let me help him. Let me see the stuff that he's going through and expose him back to the sun so that that photosynthesis can take place and he can produce much fruit. So through the exposure of the Lord Jesus, goodness, peace, and mercy can take place. And it says, for it is shameful to even speak of the things that people do in secret. But when anything is, what's this word? Exposed to light. Because it's about his light, it's not about me. It becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is, is what? Is light. Therefore, it says, wake up. Awake, oh sleeper. Oh ones that have drooped down. Oh ones that think you're too far gone because there's no way God can properly use you anymore. Wake up, oh sleeper. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, this is the good part. This is where I might run a lap. I'm just letting everybody know. Someone say, get ready. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. Now, isn't this a weird thing to say in the middle of this passage? It's talking about light and exposure and on and on. And then it says, and do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. What? Oh, no, no, no. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I really believe this whole thing's talking about producing fruit and letting the light hit. What's the goal of a vineyard? The best vineyards produce the best kinds of what? Wine. So that means you're part of the, you're, you're just part of the line of grapes. You're one of the beautiful clusters that Christ made so that you can produce much fruit, not just some fruit, much fruit, much fruit, much fruit, much fruit. The word debauchery means that you do all kinds of evil things that you never would have dreamed of. It knows no bottom. It's sexual immorality and all other forms of pleasure that is outside of God's plan. What I could say it this way, it's imitation pleasure. But we look for it when we begin to be filled with the wrong stuff when we begin to be impressed with our own gifts, when we begin to take, watch this, look at me, when we begin to take what God intended to make through us and be intoxicated with our own gifts. Don't become intoxicated with the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit that the Spirit enables me to produce. I will begin, look at me, you and I will absolutely become drunk 
with likes. With shares. With pats on the back. With people telling us we're awesome. The most dangerous position that you could be in is have this in your hand. Why? Because everybody tells you not everybody sometimes if it's bad but, but if, it's, if they think it's good they'll tell you it's good and if you're not careful you'll start believing it that's not to say that God hasn't gifted you and gifted myself with gift he, I, we have irrevocable gifts in Christ but I'm not a wine producer so that I can drink the wine but so other people can taste and see that the Lord is good and when I begin to drink the wine that God called me to make in the form of grape I will become intoxicated with everything but the one thing he called me to be intoxicated with, which is the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell at, on the day of Pentecost, after fire, tongues of fire fell, everybody began to look at the disciples. There were very few people that followed Jesus at the time, and 3,000 were baptized that day. Power came from heaven. Unbelievable. And do you know what the leader said? They're drunk. Peter said, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. We got the Holy Ghost. What's wrong with you? This story reminds me, this passage reminds me of Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. Y'all look it up. It says that after the water receded, the flood had just happened. Noah built the ark, 120 years it took him, then 40 days and 40 nights, and the flood happened, and then two by two every animal and his family. And then after that happened, it said that when the ark landed, Word for word, Noah became, the King James says, a husbandman. That means a farmer. The English standard says a cultivator of the earth who produced wine. You know what the Bible says? It says that he drank the wine. His sons gave him the wine and he did all sorts of, if you just want to describe it with a New Testament or a debauchery. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know it weren't good. He did things he would never dream of otherwise. God called him to till the land and to let wine be produced, but never to drink it. The thing that you have to be careful of in your life is as you cling to the Holy Spirit and as pruning begins to happen and as you begin to cling to the vine, you've got to make sure that you don't begin become intoxicated with the fruit, that you make the grapes, but don't drink the wine. Someone say, don't drink the wine. You can't drink the wine. He called you to make it. He wants you to be a sweet, fragrant aroma, but don't drink the wine. Don't drink the wine. This has nothing to do with alcohol. Look at me. This particular passage, I'm not arguing that kids should drink and that all this other stuff, this has nothing to do with that. I'm telling you this passage is not a passage that should be preached, don't drink. This is a passage, don't be intoxicated with you. Don't be intoxicated with anything that you can produce. Don't be intoxicated with anything that you can make. Understand that you'll make it a lot better and a lot sweeter if it's not about you. But the moment that I begin to be impressed with what I can do, I begin to be drunk off of my goodness, off of my stuff, off of what I think I am. Self-righteousness will fill me. Pride will overcome. And the Bible says, why is it? Y'all ask these questions. I'll just ask it out loud and be crazy enough that some of the godliest people that we've ever seen are the ones that fall the hardest. They started drinking the wine. I'm telling you, I believe it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they got off the line. They started thinking their cluster was more important than anybody else's cluster. I'm here to tell you, Mark Pangle has a role to play. If God calls me to lead tens of thousands, 
or hundreds or whatever it is, I should stay on the line. I should give glory to him. I should make sweet aroma and sweet fragrance and hope that I can be tied to the right people for the rest of my life so that collectively together we can produce much fruit. And the moment that I start drinking the wine, I'm in trouble because I'm going to tell you something. Y'all have never met a clear-headed drunk. Come on. You ain't ever met one. I don't care how smart someone is. Everybody's met the person that says, I can drive good drunk. They all over the place. You're like, Jesus, help us. That's what we're trying to do. We're drunk at the wheel, yelling at the world for not getting it. And they don't want the bitter tasting wine that we're trying to give them. So how can we give them sweet wine? He said, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart. Pause. I'm not asking y'all to sing to everybody that you see. I don't think that's really what he meant. It just means that you have a joyful spirit when you talk to people, that you don't come across haughty or as a know-it-all. Let me talk to the camera real quick. I'm talking to the Facebooks and the people that know better than the other people. You wouldn't give two seconds to ask someone why they might vote a certain way. You already know. That is not addressing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is called being a know-it-all. The world isn't looking for a know-it-all. They're looking for the one who's the light. We are pulling the shade down and yelling at them in the process. And, they're, and they don't want the bitter taste. And then he says, giving thanks always for everything to God, not to each other. We don't have to thank each other for each other. We should have grateful hearts and thank God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. So with joy and gratitude in our hearts, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, the next verses talk about husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, and people love to pick those verses out. But if you're not careful, you'll pick those verses out and throw them in your spouse's face, telling them how they should act. Skipping this part, And you're getting drunk while you do it. My job as a pastor, as a leader, as a husband, as a daddy, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If I do want to proclaim what the Bible says that the husband is in the same role as Christ is with the church, then I need to remember what the head is. The head is the one who's bowed down, holding all things together, not the one who stands up and says, submit people. Because submission mutually has nothing to do with the exclusiveness of the roles that God called us to, but everything to do with the fact that my heart must be submitted first to him and then to others, and then I can step into my purpose. And as soon as I don't say, what can I do to help? How can I leverage myself to pick you up when you fall in the dirt? How can I leverage myself to help you come back to the line if you get too high and you start cooking because you weren't ever called to take direct sunlight, but to have the leaves take the sunlight so that you can produce much fruit. How can I do those things by looking at you and loving you enough to be honest but not call you out but call you up? Not hurt you but help you. Set your feet on the solid rock. Put your, put your hope back in the Lord. Not expose you but expose the things so that you can have full light and produce much fruit. So as a daddy, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a co-worker, as a mother, as a wife, as a, as a daughter or a son, as anybody in this room fits one of those things, 
our job is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ with joy and gratitude in our hearts, not drinking the wine, believing we're so great, but also, watch this, not beating ourselves up because we're not good enough, but being producers of much fruit, sweet fruit, fragrant aroma by believing what he says about you is true. You'll never change the world, y'all. Look at me. We'll never change the world unless he gets to change ours. And it may be kind of saddening to believe that we might not stand out above. But the truth of the matter is if our hearts are right, no matter if one grape gets pulled off or one cluster gets pulled off, the ultimate truth is it's the vine dresser. It's the vine. It's, that's who we want to get credit for. I thought this was so interesting. I told Austin this as we were talking through the message. I've been to some vineyards before and I've never looked down and thought how cool the vines are. Y'all with me? I've never, I've never said, my God, look at them vines. Have y'all? You're how he gets glory. That's it. How do people taste and see that the Lord is good when the grapes and the wine taste right? Nobody's ever going to walk through a vineyard and just look, unless they're a horticulture specialist, whatever. None of us, just average Joes, you see what I did? None of us are going to walk through a vineyard and look for the vines and look for the roots and look for the stuff. We're just going to look at the grapes and we're going to taste the wine and the way that people know how good the vine dresser and the vine is is by being able to taste and see that the Lord is good which will happen through you why is this so important because I think that's why the world doesn't believe I don't think all of a sudden God, God stopped being good I think they're tired of tasting the bitter and they're ready to taste and see that the Lord is good some of y'all need to put down the wine of you. And some of y'all need to be picked up and put back on the line. And collectively together, we can change the world. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Will y'all stand with me? The invitation is different today. I just felt like it was supposed to be. But I want, as part of this final song, for y'all to just open your heart up and say, Lord, put me back on the vine I want to change the world but I don't want to drink the wine I don't want to drink the wine I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I just want to pray over you and then I just want y'all to let this song minister to you as you sing with me God I just pray right now for every man and woman and young person every person watching online that we'll realize that you made us so amazingly unique to be imitators of Jesus Christ, to look just like our daddy, to not even realize we look like him, but our hands are in our pockets and we're rocked back so that when people have experiences with us, they'll taste and see that the Lord is good, that we'll give a fragrant aroma, holy and pleasing to you and everything that we do. God, this is not about perfection. 
It's not about perfection. There are runs in the vines. There are things that happen and the vine dresser comes and picks it back up. Lord, this is about being submitted to the process so that you can make much fruit and more fruit and sweet fruit. And so God, do it in us. We want people to know how sweet and amazing and awesome the Lord Jesus is. But honestly, the way that happens is by exposure to you. And they're not going to show up, Lord, because they just have this light that hits them like Paul, most likely walking down a street. But it'll be because they have an experience, a conversation, a moment that we forgive them and they don't deserve it, a moment that we show grace, a moment that we don't care who they vote for or where they come from, but we just look at them with the love that God has, you have for us first, and we love them back. So God, just change our hearts so people can taste and see how good you are. And we ask this in your awesome name. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's sing.